Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Well, this takes me back to uh, the days when this podcast was good, uh, back when it was called the Coffee Cast, and um, we went to it's coffee so shops and, um, you know, did a, a, a proper interview. Um, we are sitting, both of us, for the first time in five and a half months, sitting uh, six feet away at a coffee shop, the Starbucks here, at the corner of 61st and Yale in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's my cation. It is Noah Rubin. Uh, on, on top of it, um, let's just say uh, something positive has really happened for us recently where we, were, we have this nice new piece of equipment and to the person who was generous enough to donate it to us, um, thank you, thank you for doing so because I got to tell you, Noah sounds better than he ever has um, and it's saying a lot. So, I mean, listen, listen, just listen to yourself. Welcome. I mean, oh, wow. God, you actually sound like a professional. This is the... Um, <laughs> That's where the crickets come in, <laughs> oh, by <sorry>. the way. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, we have sound effects now. Um, this is the... Uh, it, it stops. Two, one, stops. It's okay. Okay. Everything's fine. This is where? Uh, this is the, the podcast where we are going to let everybody ask us anything that they wanted. Yes. Um, I, I want to say a couple things first before we get into it. We have a lot of questions to get to here, yeah. Noah. Four pages worth. Um, you, you were nice enough to come over and actually spend some time with my daughter, uh, masked, as socially distanced as a five-and-a-half-year-old will allow you to get. <laughs> Um, but uh, it, it was it was really nice getting to see you interact with, with my daughter. She She loves you. Uh, she wanted to play some Taylor Swift for you. Uh, she knows you're into the artwork, so you guys did some artwork together. Um, <laughs> I, I paid her. She has her own gallery. Yeah, she does. She has her own gallery. It's a collection, it is, is. as she refers to it, yes. her collection. No, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you produced somebody that great after knowing who you are as a person. I mean, I think, I think frankly, what it comes down to is I obviously married up, uh, and then once she realized... Um, you know, that she married up or that she married down. She's, you know, I'm done. Uh, yeah, no, that got super dark. Okay. <laughs> um, so, no, yeah. She's, Marnie's, Marnie is, um, uh, her, her mother and I, are, we're both so incredibly proud of her. And it was fun to see her interact with you after FaceTiming with you for 
uh, year now. Yeah. She she really had like a base of knowledge about you, so she really <laughs> wanted to interact, After and it was all the FaceTimes, yeah. and yeah, and I got to see the place and be around. That was great, and and the tadpoles that yeah. You guys are uh, raising. Tad and Biggie are uh, are the tadpoles that are inside the house right now, and yeah, that's, that's good. The sound Another they make. ten seconds of that. It's all right. I stopped it. Okay. Um, so let's let's, let's get, get to it because we've got a lot to get to, and you've got some business to attend to later this yes. afternoon. I've got a house to clean. Um, we do have three new Patreon supporters this week, which is just uh, again continues to be amazing. So thank you to Joseph Smith. Ian Katz and Joe C, the Joe C from Twitter himself, wow. Prodigy Rep, <laughs> Prodigy Rep version two, Prodigy Rep V3. I don't know which version he's he's been banned so many times. <laughs> he's the only Novak supporter who actually likes you. Wow. Um, no, he's he's a great guy. I, I actually got to I've hung out with him twice now in New York, and then he was in Melbourne this year as okay. well. Okay. So yeah, just a fantastic guy, and uh, we'll get to his question as well. So. This is going to kind of just go all over the place a little bit. We're going to try to answer these questions as best we can. Quick to the point. We'll get to them. and Quick to the point, to the point, no faking. Cooking MCs like a pound of bacon. You name it. Don't, don't, please don't wrap my face over again. Vanilla ice, okay. ice, ice baby. Don't, don't wrap my Classic face over again. Classic hip-hop. You ruined it. The first question comes from Eric Janssen, the feisty redhead. First, a question for the both of you. What's an ability in players that fans often overlook when judging how good a young player is and can become? For example, I think defending corners, neutralizing points when pushed out wide is such a thing. Yes. Uh, you know, he was looking in, into tactics a little bit. Yeah. I go straight to mental. How many roadblocks people have to face, juniors have to face in that road? And it's not just from the simple juniors to college to pros. I mean, you're talking 14 years old. To 16. I mean, there was guys that I used to kiss the ground they walked on mm. and almost didn't pick up a racket from mm. 15 on. So the roadblocks they face as, you know, they're facing guys that are making a few extra balls that are getting larger, you're becoming a person. You know, I think that's really the first thing that comes to mind, the roadblocks that are going to be faced. How yeah. about you? And I think, I think similar to that, uh, just the idea of point construction within a match and then adjusting that point construction and game plan within a match. That's where... Uh, last year, Yannick Sinner, yeah. seeing him a little bit in Binghamton, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, seeing it at first thinking he was going to be able to power people off the court, and then he would adjust a little bit. And then you saw the next week in Lexington, Different he was able to win plans, it. A, yeah. B, and C. And so he, he was able to take this first level and then go to a second level and then go to a third. So I think that's the, the, the big one for me is that mm -hmm shows that different level when he needs to early thoughtfulness yeah yeah i don't have any of that <laughs> second is a question uh, still from eric here for noah sorry mike is there anything in particular you wish you had practiced more as a young player trying to make it as in is there an area in your game you feel you've a little bit had to play catch up as you got older um i think my team did a, actually a fairly good job about looking into the future i think that's actually why i progressed so quickly through juniors into pros is because we weren't building a game for an 18 year old we were building a game for a 25 year old and i think the only thing is just to optimize this idea of this urgency to get better every day but mm -hmm. at the same time patience understanding that it is a 10 15 year process and i think that's something that we could have done even better you know there were times we're like okay here here are the juniors yeah it was great to win wimbledon but people don't remember those matches they really don't as much so just this idea that we were getting myself to a place where I was going to be a really great 30-year-old, which we did, 
but I think we could have upped it a few levels. You came out as like a 19-year-old that was 30, though. That was the real real issue that I had with you. (laughs) You're like, who the fuck is this kid? (laughs) (laughs) How do I talk to him? Why does he have gray hair? It's very weird. Uh, Okay. Eric, thank you. Um, thanks for stopping by the Twitch channels as well of late. The feisty redhead. Feisty. He's uh, he's yeah. been posting more of his tennis videos too. Yeah, I, I like that. He's getting a lot. He gets a ton of Twitter play as well. Yeah, he does. That's insane. We're up. We're outside. Just, that Just is, that's, that's not a, that's not a sound effect. Huh? That's a Mitsubishi Eclipse, obviously. <laughs> Welcome to Tulsa. Uh, okay, Isaku Takahashi has two questions for us. Number one, he says, for me, the biggest thing I got out of tennis is the growing confidence and belief in myself. Confidence is something I've struggled with throughout my life, and admittedly, I still do. Most of us actually do. Yeah. Is there a moment in your playing or broadcasting careers where tennis sparked that positive energy to help your confidence or get through a particularly tough period in your life? That's, that's a great question, actually. And this is one of the things that I attribute, and I, and I want to show people that, you know, winning a Grand Slam, that's not everything in tennis. I mean, you, be, you become a better person throughout the journey of tennis because like many people have said before matches and the road of tennis is almost a small part of life within the mm-hmm. bigger aspect of life and so yeah i mean i think throughout you know whether it's coming back and and you know down a set and a break and coming back saving match points it just enhances this idea and this self belief that i i can get through these moments in my life and that correlates directly to confidence off the court as well so i think you know it enabled confidence that, of course, other people will say arrogance in me early on that said, hey, that's what I can do on the court. Just wait until what I can do off the court. Yeah, for me, I, I've told this story before. Courtney Wynn, uh, a friend of the pod, uh, obviously part of the No Challenges Remaining podcast, along with Ben Rothenberg. Um, she, she said this one thing to me the, the first time I was doing the Australian Open, and this doesn't necessarily relate to life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was nervous as all get out for my first ever match at the Australian Open. It was uh, Wozniacki, or Kuznetsova, Kuznetsova. And she just, I said, I don't know how to pronounce this other player's name. You know, what am I doing? And she just said, it's just tennis, man. <laughs> it's just tennis. And then it was just one of those moments of realization that like, kind of just you, is. You got it. You've, you, yeah, this yeah. is something you've done before. And so then I've, I've, I definitely have taken that into more things in life. For example, moving out here to Tulsa where I have no friends. I have nothing here except for my daughter. And it's just like, you know what, you've, you've overcome these moments like that where you, you struggled and you didn't know what you, and you just did it. You just, you did, just did it. You found, you, found, you found a way. It's just tennis. It's just living. I right. mean, you can live here. Right. You can live anywhere. It's fine. So I think that one was one that really translated well um, for me. Question number two from Isaku No raised a very good point that there's a disconnect between tennis players and fans. The way this sport is promoted, fans can't relate to players at a deeper level. Um, Isaku says he works at the LTA and his role is essentially to connect fans with tennis through various channels, especially in a time where tennis is one of the few sports that can be played recreationally. He says, I have certain ways and ideas in which to combat this dilemma, but in your views, what do you think are the missing ingredients in the way tennis is promoted and talked upon right now? <sighs> I mean, this question. is, yeah, it's a, it's a big question, but this is kind of what, you know, we've gone through um, a few times because we're so passionate about yeah. this. When I... It was one of the reasons I started Behind the Racket was in a sport, in an individual sport, they don't promote the players and they only promote the top of the sport. So here you have basically not knowing who the 20th best player in the world is as a person. So yeah. you lose this connection of who they are. So you don't really want to root for them because if you don't like their game, 
what do you have? You have no relation to them. So I think that was one of the major problems with tennis right now. And also just TV friendly. I think it's just right, a little yeah. bit, we're lacking this excitement for not only the next generation, but as, as tennis as a whole, we're, we're lacking that, you know, quick, fun, turn on the TV, we got some tennis going on that, you know, some aspects, UTS, World Team Tennis, you know, encapsulate in small weeks. Yes. But in the in the broader picture of tennis, they don't do very well. Yeah, and I, I to, to piggyback off of that, because that's where exactly where I was going as well, um, this was something that I know Matt Rackett uh, on Twitter, his very long thesis about, you know, tennis, where it's at and where it's going. The idea of being better with social, allowing more people to have access to videos, gifts, all those kind of things. Yeah. That's a big thing that we're lacking right Stop now. The promo- they're stopping the promotion of the sport. Correct. They're stopping the fan promotion of the sport. Right. And that is such a big thing. And I, I think that, um, you know, the idea of, of incorporating Twitch and, uh, you know, some sort of smaller broadcasting capabilities for futures, things like that, you know, just finding different ways of accessing the younger audience right now, I think is, is where we're really lacking. And so I think, yeah, for me, social, uh, social side, and also just like you said, shortening things just a little bit for, for a younger audience. Yeah. I mean, you know it very well, better yeah. than anybody. Mommy's have, not going to sit through anything. <laughs> she just wants to be your I just spent your attention span. Oh, well, yeah, no, I, I'm used to sitting there for 14 hours watching <laughs> you people do nothing. <laughs> Um, along these lines, Sean, uh, one of our Patreon supporters, and I, I will say almost everyone here is a Patreon supporter. And again, thank yes. you, patreon.com slash behind the racket pod. Sean asks, what aspects, if any, of the UTS exhibition do you think should be carried over to other events? I personally really like the in-match coaching sessions, even if some players cough, cough, sitsipas, cough, cough, didn't seem to like them as they humanized <laughs> the players and brought out the personalities and showed the mindsets and emotions during the match. Yeah, uh, no, this was great. I, I do think, you know, the nicknames may have taken it a little bit dramatic. <laughs> I, I do think it was fun and, and, yeah. and everything, the hammer and lightning, whatever else. The magician. The magician. Um, you know, the first thing that came to mind was something I always thought was I love the sudden death points. Adding that, you know, that quick aspect of, let's say, bringing into real tennis, no, no ad. Yeah. You're playing no ad. You have a deuce point, whether it's on your serve or not you're getting into that and it, it's right there. Yeah. One point is all you need. I think that adds a level of excitement that you can't get in today's tennis. But also, I mean, completely, completely right on the topic is this idea of allowing tennis players to be who they are. Yeah. You know, that's this is you know where the connection comes in as well. You know, maybe you don't need nicknames for people, but let them be themselves. Let Benoit Paire scream, let, you know, Mute get out there and start firing balls at Sissy Pass's father. So I think there's a lot that they did well. Do I think it was extreme? Yes, but this was a great time to experiment. I think it goes back to me, honestly, to to McEnroe, John specifically. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you, when I was seven, there's not a single, I've, I've said this before, there's not a single person in my family who plays tennis. Yeah. But I watched John McEnroe breakfast at Wimbledon and like <laughs> him going nuts at various <laughs> things. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Right. I wanna play tennis. Nobody else in my family plays tennis, but that drama of it. And this, this is a way where drama can be had you can have those that those moments here and it seemed like it was specially built for television which which i did like yes um quarters i I, you know obviously i I don't want to take away from the scoring of tennis necessarily um but i I did like how it was built for television you knew exactly what how things were going to go time wise i really enjoyed that aspect of it all right adam bartell what is your general impression of how players uh, intri- uh, let me make sure I put this right. Uh, interest the top fifty in the top fifty one hundred ish range. Feel about the messes that Djokovic team Zverev have created. Are they disgusted with them, or are there some that 
are doing stupid shit and just grateful they're not big enough that people recognize them. <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting <laughs> way of putting that, Adam. Um, also, is Nick Kyrgios being the voice of reason the biggest sign that we're in end times? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I mean, I'll answer, you know, last to first kind of thing. Uh, another Mitsubishi yeah. coming through. Uh, um, that's one of the motorcycles that wakes my daughter up at 930 <laughs> every night. Um, yeah, I mean... Kyrgios, I always actually thought he had a decent amount of common sense. Um, I think he's using his time to get his voice out a little bit more, and he knows, and he's you know not that friendly with some of the guys at the top. You know, yes, there's a lot right. of uh, you know clashes between them. But going back to it, yeah, I mean there are a decent amount of players. You know, Kyrgios is that voice, but there are a lot of other players. I talk to them that are, are really unhappy with the way the top of the game is being portrayed right now, and they're putting it on themselves so you know seeing that they you know a lot of the players let's say outside the top 75 outside 100 they feel irrelevant so they feel like you know these are the guys that everybody's listening to and here's Zverev saying that he's going to quarantine you see him you know partying in Spain so yeah it's very difficult but they feel helpless because they know they don't have a voice so what can they do so they sit back and take it and I will just add that um, I, I think I've, I've gathered from social media that there are enough players um, specifically on the men's side that are being stupid, uh, but people are not necessarily recognizing it's being it. being highlighted, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are definitely some people who are maybe lower ranked that are probably lucky yeah. that they're not as, as well recognized and well known uh, around the world. Yeah. Um, that being said, I mean, listen, we're here in the U.S. You've been in Tulsa for the last four days. Yeah. You've gone out and about and you've seen what it's... It's, yeah, it's I mean, we're, the, half the half the country is acting stupid, frankly. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's and that's being generous with that yeah. number. But um, yeah. yeah, so that so I, it's it's hard for me to answer that properly, Adam, right. because of the fact that you know y you look around the U.S. specifically and how bad it is in terms of the mask wearing. You could talk about that in the U.K. as well. It's weird that it's become so divisive. So I, I think there are just a lot of people, specifically here in the states, who are acting stupid. But that's just our country. All right, Greg Bukowski has two questions. Yeah. Um, number one, please rank your top three or top five favorite tournaments. Well, let's go with that one first. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna mix it up a little bit. So we're okay. gonna start at the top level. Aussie's got to come first for me. Hey, mine too. Yeah, and then Indian Wells actually comes second, and that Indian Wells I'll put over the other slams. Wimby comes close to Indian Wells just because of the history amongst it um but those are three then you go back to the challengers tibron has to be up there um carrie's up there actually mm. i know we just spoke about that but just just another one that you just feel welcomed you know that's really what that's as a player i mean i'm sure it's similar as a broadcaster and commentator but as a player it's it's where you feel at home mm. where they make you feel comfortable and wanted because we never feel that yeah. in tennis and australia by far leaps and bounds above anybody else any other tournament they're like thank you mm. thank you for coming out here we we appreciate it and uh, you just don't get that everywhere so for me actually picking backing off of that as well noah uh, for me you know you talk about being comfortable yeah it's not necessarily the, the way the tournaments treat you. For it's, me, it's locations. <laughs> right. And so that's where I pick my top three. Uh, Australia's number one. I love the city of Melbourne. I have an incredibly close friend who lives there that I get to see and see the, uh, their kids every, every year. And then it's two challengers that are Tiburon um, and Savannah. Savannah. Um, Savannah, Savannah is great. Yeah, yeah, Savannah yeah, yeah, is, that's my fault. Savannah's I, great. 
Savannah is the one tournament every year where I pack an extra day or two on the one, either the front Great or the city. back end. It is my favorite city to visit. Tiburon is right there as well, being uh, across the bay from San Francisco. Just the beauty of Northern California. Um, so those are my those are my top three, and and it's pretty easy for me to pick. Yeah. Um, Number two is a Noah-specific question. How would you recommend a club-level player take a leap in ability level like from 4.5 to 5.0? Yeah, I've actually some of my select lessons have been with guys around 4.5, 5.0. And what I've seen is this, <laughs> it's this want to hit the shit out of the ball. Yeah. It is this want to, oh, wow, look at that one forehand. I was like, what about the 45 others during that hour? They're like, yeah. I, don't worry about that. Yeah. So I would take it back a step and say, hey, can I build upon consistency? And that's what I see a lot of players lacking. And that stems from a lot of different things, whether it's tactics, whether it's you know form and, and technique. But I would take a step back and say, hey, can I make a few extra balls in the court, maybe take a little bit off the ball? A lot of the guys can hit the ball fairly well, but they're looking for that home run feeling. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's tough. It's a mental battle because, again, they love that one shot, you know, which... Believe me, I tried to do that too, and it hasn't come yet. But uh, yeah, it takes some time. Connor Mogul, my biggest Twitch supporter, actually. <laughs> Connor Mogul has a couple of questions. First one is a fun one. Uh, what would your last meal be if you were going to the electric chair? Oof. That's so tough. I, I mean, I think I would have to go either Brazilian steakhouse or just a great batch of wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Noah wants Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, no, 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 no. that's not a Keep going. It's not a great batch. Uh, I, I, I want a well-cooked steak. Yeah. Yeah, a well-cooked yeah. steak, all gratin potatoes. Oof, no. Keep going. Okay. A Caesar salad. Crisp. Yes. Crisp and cold. Yes. Yes. And no brown on the leaves. Come on. Come on. It's embarrassing. Um, and, a, and a nice, a nice well-cooked roll. Do either I'm, of you I'm, I'm, have I'm any superstitions right. that you're willing to share? Mike? All right. I've told this. I think I've told this before. Okay. When I was, uh, when I played, uh, I, there was a year, it was my junior year of high school when, when I played. Yeah. Um, no, it was my senior year. I didn't lose a singles match that year. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, tell the, us that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, there's a lot of facts to back this up, so. I actually true story yeah yeah i still have the newspaper okay so put it on twitter after this okay Uh, i gotta find it um i wore a sweatshirt my first match it was march march like 28th or something like that. It's cold yeah and i wouldn't not wear a sweatshirt for the rest of the year okay weird enough yeah a sweatshirt or that sweatshirt did you not wash it no i definitely washed it was it the same i wasn't mark pullman's i wasn't mark pullman's (laughs) um (laughs) marky but it was the same sweatshirt, though. Just washed. I can't Top, remember. can't remember. Yeah, it was like 80 years ago. Yeah. No, I was super, super superstitious. Um, and then I got to a point that I literally was so tired. I was physically and mentally exhausted. I was sweating doing yeah. my superstition, superstitions. And I was like, I'm done. And I stopped all of them. I had ones where I like literally gripped my racket. That was the last thing I did before I go to sleep. And after that, I couldn't speak. Yeah. Like, weird things. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. still extremely strange yeah but no i stopped all that and and i couldn't touch the line with my feet back in the day yeah it was exhausting yeah we'll talk about that still is exhausting jonathan holtz asks who's going to benefit the most and the least from the new 22 month ranking system certainly helps the top guys who had a good fall swing last year and do not need weekly paychecks and that is the big one for me yeah it's money it's money i mean you know you have the top guys like yeah if you're fighting for that number one spot you know if you're talking about number one ranking, ludicrous. 
coming for that number one spot. You know where he's born? Urbana, Illinois. Okay. Nobody cares. Um, if you're going for that number one spot, yes, then there is some care in the top guys. But if you're just trying to stay around that level for those guys, it, it helps a lot. You know, they still have their ranking. Um, the worst people, I can go the opposite. The people that had a really good January, February, early March. You know, since it's a 22-month ranking system and not 24 months, yeah. they're losing those two months. And that those will only be on the ranking list for X amount, six to eight months instead of a full year. Um, apparently for the year-end tournament, they don't want to mess up those points. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people that, you know, really don't want to play have had a good, you know, 2019 and are okay with sitting home. Ludacris, you know, he's hotter than Nevada. Yo, you got to raise your hand next time to speak. I'm just saying. He was born in the 217. Okay. Thank you very much, John. No response even? Catherine Prendergast says, this is, this is a deeper one, I think. Uh, it's a question for Noah, and she says, asking as a Jew. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Thanks for prefacing <laughs> that. Well, welcome. Uh, does Noah think there's any sense of a Jewish legacy or history in tennis, especially given tennis's country club roots in America, when for a good long time Jews were excluded from such clubs? So going, for, I mean, this is, a, this is a tough transition here, yes. but I, I think that's a, a really interesting question. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to relate to African-Americans or blacks in general. It's a different feel altogether, but there is this sense of anti-Semitism where it was that real white country club feel that even as a Jew, you were excluded from. And I still feel it today. You know, you still mm -hmm. feel a little bit like my name's Skippy. You know, I changed yeah. my name immediately. Um, I think I think at this point, and I, I've worked very hard to be a proud Jew on the court, I don't hide it. Tough to hide it with the name Noah Rubin, only if it was... No yeah. <laughs> Lord Mustang. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I felt it from a young age. But it didn't deter me. It didn't deter me from going to those clubs. And, you know, at the same point, being from New York and around the New Jersey area, there's a lot of people that are in the tennis world that are Jewish. And I've just surrounded myself with a lot of them. So um, we're proud and there's a decent amount. But in the world of professional sports, it does get tricky at times. Yeah. It's been a very interesting couple of weeks as well as there have been several um, high-profile athletes and entertainers who have started making more anti-Semitic um, Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's been. It's a really that. difficult time, and I, I've been fascinated by that whole development because I just like where did it come I didn't, from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I didn't, you didn't see expect it coming. It coming. Yeah. yeah. No. But uh, Catherine, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. All right, Alex K. Question for Noah. Wow, this is somebody who actually saw you win the Grand Slam. Wow. I was at Wimbledon 2014. Happened to get to watch you beat Kozlov in the final. With a few years of hindsight, I'm curious to hear what you think are the biggest factors contributing to a good transition from world-class juniors to the ATP Tour, mental, physical, or maybe there's a style of play that works in juniors but doesn't scale to the men's tour. Uh, yeah, I mean, less about the style of play. The two things that obviously, I mean, you know, Mike can attest to this is uh, mental capabilities to play your level of tennis more consistently throughout the year. So it's just getting that level where in juniors, you know, you can have six to eight good weeks, where in pros, it's tougher to have those weeks and you need a few more of them, especially starting out. So, you know, it's less about the actual style of play because I've seen all kinds of style of play actually make that transition, but it's this mental capability to say, hey, I'm going to lose more at the start. I have to be extremely resilient. And I have to combat those with, you know, this ability to improve every day and regardless of what's happening, almost feel like there's no pressure because, you know, you see a lot of guys 
you know, 18, 19 come up quick. I was kind of one of them. And then once the pressure settles in, whether it's injury, whether it's other things, you see them kind of settling down a little more and they don't have that same, you know, flair about them. So it's, it's just having that fun, spirited feel that you have when you're juniors and not letting that go when you're a pro. I think it's also um, one thing you didn't touch on was just adding that, that next level weapon. You can, uh, Stefan's a, a good example. Yeah. A, a guy who, he can do so many things on the court and at a junior level, that makes him incredibly dangerous. I think for him, you could argue that it's been that ability to knock somebody out, that, that knockout punch. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one, the more you're able to develop that early in your career, the faster I think you can go. Yeah, whatever it is, just honing in on it. And you know, everybody's like, well, you know, make sure you don't have a weakness. Actually, a lot of pros have weaknesses. Yeah, sure. It's just making sure their strengths are that fucking good. Yes. Question for either, what are some of the common ways that players outside the top, say, 150, fund their travel and coaching? There, uh, there are some guys who I've seen in the qualities of challengers for five to ten years, and I can't imagine their prize money could sustain full-time travel, coaching, hotels, etc. I mean, to be honest, there's, there's really no secret. I mean, they yeah. have some help from family back home. You know, maybe if they're fortunate, um, they get a couple sponsors on the way. But that's really it. There's, there's really no secret. A lot of them are just trying to make ends meet. They're doing some coaching on the side. A lot yeah. of them, when they're home, just getting in a few lessons, make some cash, just enough to travel. But again, you know, we're not hiding anything. These people are not making money, and they're struggling to travel every week. Joseph Smith asks, question for Noah, in the heart of a long challenger season, do you ever find difficulty in keeping your intensity level up for each tournament? I'll answer for him, yes. If so, <laughs> what do you do when you find your energy level or excitement level dipping prior to the start of an upcoming match? <laughs> you shit on me. <laughs> You're in your third week of like that Savannah thing. Your left eye starts drooping to the side. That's natural. That's just, just me. <laughs> um... It's tough. I mean, this is this is kind of what I want to talk to a lot of juniors about and what I've worked really hard on. It's a long season. You have to find what makes you happy throughout that. Um, for yeah, me, but, but in, a, in a situation where you are stuck and where you feel like you're you're not there and it's Tuesday and you've got to play that day, what's what's the thing that can turn it around for you? Yeah, again, it, you know, it's I've tried to find ways in the world of tennis and it hasn't been there for me yet yeah. mine is coming from the outside world when everything on the outside is going well when i'm ready to get in the court and fight for every point regardless of the shape i'm in regardless of how i'm playing i have a pretty good chance of winning that match if yeah. i'm happy and ready to fight for every point so do what you enjoy doing um whether that means taking some time off you know so there are times where i've taken the day off before a match hit for maybe 15 minutes but i'm in a great place mentally and i play some of my better tennis all right joe c this is the last of our Patreon questions. Joe C. asks, first question, what have you found, uh, both found the toughest moments of your respective careers? Um, I mean, mine I've spoke about a few times. You know, some of, you know, when I, when I do extremely well in tournaments, winning a tournament, you know, a couple months before, whatever, I've never won a match after winning a tournament. Continuing momentum has always been a really sh tough struggle for me. And, and, and tough mentally, because that stopped me from taking the next leaps. Mike knows very well whether I want to challenge or do really well in ATPs. I can't really continue that along, and that's been really tough at times. For me, um, bluntly, it was going through a divorce. Yeah. Um, I mean, going through a divorce while you're trying to broadcast tennis and still be chipper and happy and pretend like everything's just fine when right. you have a two-year-old child and trying to figure out what, that's, what yeah. that was like. Because you're already so chipper and happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the the last few months of 2016 into early 2017 were the I, I I mean I tried not to let it affect my broadcasting it did yeah um, but yeah I think I think everybody goes through those personal struggles you have to find a way to just 
make sure you can kind of take care of the basic stuff, breathing, drinking water, oh. eating food, and, and then allowing your your mental health to kind of catch up. And, and Joe, I know, posted a little bit about his mental health this week. And, and Joe, we're both certainly thinking about you and hoping you are uh, doing things well. A couple of non-Patreon questions we want to get to before we end the podcast. Or did I miss one? Oh, sorry. Joe, second question. What are your respective career goals? I yeah. forgot about this because I've actually, he sent this this morning and I've been thinking about it for the last five hours. <laughs> uh, second question from Joe, what are your respective career goals at this moment in time? Yeah, I mean, I think no matter how much should I talk about the current system of tennis, I, I, I still truly, truly believe, I, I mean, I think I'm young enough, top 50. I want to be top 50 in the world. I think I have the tennis skill for it and the mental capabilities when things on the outside world are going well. So I still think that's going to happen. Um, but I, you know, with that being said, I still have behind the racket and a lot of stuff to do with that. And I, and I think I could do all of that at the same time. For me, uh, uh, it's a lot more complex. Um, if I'm being honest, I know I'm like maybe B-level tennis commentator, probably C-level is being realistic in terms of, you know, I'm not at ESPN. Looking for a I'm not, compliment. No, I'm really not. Uh, I'm being honest about where I'm where I'm at, right? Okay. You know, being a C-level commentator, not ESPN, not Tennis Channel, it's hard to know exactly what jobs I'm going to have next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's realistic. A little more security. You know, uh, there, it's it's a global recession at best, right? So yeah, I I don't have that job security. I would love to be able to work all four slams every year. I, I mean, that would be full full send for me if I could. You know, yeah. that yeah. and and being able to work some of the um, world feed for the ATPs. That would be the goal, um, but I'm also pretty realistic right now about the fact that uh, it, this is true of every every sport um, right now. The money's really struggling, yeah. so there are going to be a lot of broadcasters who are desperate and looking for work. And so, I, I, my career goals, I have no fucking idea right now. Beautiful. If I can find a job next year, honestly, if I can find a way just to sustain myself for next year, that's it. I'll do what I can. Yeah. All right, a couple more questions from non-Patreon. And uh, this is from Scott Colburn, who works at the Clip Drysdale Clubs with uh, my good friend Joey Humph, uh, the tennis nerds on Twitter. He had a a really uh, complex question. So uh, essentially, he was asking us to kind of really go a little bit more into detail about some of the solutions he yeah. says we you know we've we've talked a lot about some of the things that are wrong but right. maybe without the concrete solutions so he said what solutions could realistically be implemented at the professional level to create uh, level excuse me to create a better overall environment for the majority of players it's uh it's two quick things um i think i've harped on them a little bit and i'm sorry about all the complaining i know at times we've <laughs> tried to you know slowly back away from that but the complaining comes from a good place we love the sport um what i see Two simple things. We're not getting the fans involved enough, and we're not getting that excitement, um, you know, whether for TV or just for the sport itself. So I think shortening the format, whether that means best of two out of three, even a 10-point tiebreaker, no ad, playlets, just quick, you know, getting really high-level tennis, making sure there's no tanking, there's no drop of the level. Like, you could put every ounce of energy into every point. I think having that um, will allow for for much better tennis and, and for a lot of, you know, TV rights and broadcasting rights to be involved and then also gain the fans in the sport you know having matches after you know business hours having them during the weekend having kids days you know you know getting people involved and, and not having them you know just sit down and be quiet the whole match you know getting them involved and, and I think that's just going to allow for, for young kids to want to be there to want to be at the sport combining that let them have jerseys let people cheer and have DJs 
I think, you know, making it a much more friendly atmosphere and incorporating some fun into it. Yeah, and I, I agree with that second part. Um, the, the names on the jerseys is a big one for me. Uh, just the merchandising of that aspect is pretty important to me. The other thing um, for me, Scott, that I think is going to really make a, a drastic impact, and I actually think it'll impact greatly the, the quality of play, yeah. is the universal basic income for tennis players. Just a, a even if it's 50000 for top 100, and then prize money 000. be the bonus. Correct. Yes. I think uh, just having the comfort of, of financials um, just kind of be set a little bit more for more players. Take will the allow pressure, them, yes, alleviate that. Yeah. Allow them to pick their schedule better to fit and suit them um, and make sure that those 18 tournaments or 22, whatever it is going to be right now, you know, make sure that those tournaments suit them so you're able to see the best play from the best players more often. Um, and it won't allow to, for this financial inequality between players. And so I think that's a big one for me uh, to see moving forward. Claire Thorpe, there's so much talk about who will finish top out of the big three and be the GOAT, but this is always talked about solely in terms of Grand Slam titles. Likewise, with Serena, there's a fixation on the number 24. Aside from the slams, what else matters on and off the court in terms of being remembered as a truly great player and creating a lasting legacy? That is a great question. <laughs> um, I think in, in you know kind of where tennis is at now, you could see just how people have transcended the sport of tennis. Hmm. You know, looking at people that have made an impact, let's say Kyrgios never wins a slam. Just the fact that I can go to a club and 50% of the players are now using Yannick's rackets because of him, just little things like that, I think you can attest that to an incredible legacy. I also think in terms of tennis, you could talk about the consistency of incredible play. You know, you can look at Federer and how many quarterfinals he has. You know, it's not always about winning the slam, it's just how many tournaments did he go in a row but not losing before the quarterfinals. And, you know, as tennis aficionados like us, we know how difficult that is to consistently play. Incoming. There's two more. That's fantastic. Yeah. Again, every every night at 930. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, pissed. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm, you know, you're looking at it. And for me, and it's tough to say who really the GOAT is, the greatest of all time, but you look at Nadal. And just the ability and the toughest competitor, the one that, you know, if you had a gun to your head, the last person you would want to play in any given day, yep. Rafael Nadal on clay court, it's a nightmare. Uh, for me, I, I, I'm going to actually kind of flip your, your question just a little bit, Claire. I would argue that the diversity of tennis, the diversity of player type, the diversity of styles allows, like, somebody might say, I'm not trying to mock you here for once. <laughs> Somebody might say that Noah Rubin is their favorite player because they admire his style, his footwork, his heart, whatever it might be. Somebody might say that Noah Rubin's the, the player that they, uh, I think, is great that they admire most. I, like, Alberto Barisategui was the guy I wanted to be when I was 16 years old. <laughs> I was like, this guy's amazing. No, but it's true, and I think that's, that's why we talk about we have to let tennis players be themselves a yes. little bit more because people, I know people that don't, even love tennis, but like that guy, uh, Fagnini. Yeah. I, I love him so much. I would, if, if you talk to 15 year old Mike Cation, yeah. again, back in Rather 1943, um, I would have said, I want to buy Alberto Barisategui merchandise right now. There is no chance of me buying Alberto Barisategui merchandise ever. <laughs> you know, like you obviously are unique in that you have the behind the racket line, but like, no, if no. I wanted to buy a Mitchell Kruger jersey, yeah. I couldn't buy a Mitchell Kruger jersey. No. And that's, that, to me, is wrong. Yes. Like, we need to find ways to merchandise and make sure that the players are Connect getting aspect to, to that. Yeah. 
All right. Last question. Uh, Jack Wichtendahl says he's a conflicted college student, and, and this is really... Uh, this is one not just tennis really. This, they, is this, life. this goes for everybody this right is now. Life right now. How do you stay motivated for something you're not sure is going to come back, and even if it does, you know it's not going to be the same because of the coronavirus. And Jack, you have <laughs> summed up life in 2020. <laughs> um, you know, for me, and, and you know, I've talked about this, you know, with you, with Dr. Katz before, and some of my lives. It's this idea of switching expectations and goals. For me, during my practices, it was going back to this childlike feel and playfulness where I was just enjoying being out there, mm. where my wonderful girlfriend, Jamie, is like, is everything okay? Because usually I'm like, okay, you know, when I say an hour and a half, I play an hour and a half. It was three hours later. I didn't even know. I was just enjoying it. So it's, a, it's about finding that, that fun atmosphere, not playing for the tournament anymore. I'm doing it for myself. So it, it gets tricky in college because not everybody wants to study. But find what makes you happy throughout the process and let the goals, um, you know, value that. Yeah, and that's, that's what I keep going to as well. Um, I've been reading a book. It's a poker-related book, mm-hmm. um, just talking about uh, it, the mental side of poker. And it's really about trusting the process, going through with the idea that this is going to continue towards this path that you've been choosing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it doesn't, you reevaluate, you step back, you move to a different path. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, if you focus just on the fact that this path might not work, you're not going to get anything out of the, the I don't know, the work that you're doing, the right. process that you're going towards. So I, I think that's been really important for me, Jack, is just kind of, yeah, it might not be the same, but that's the process I want to go to because that is something that I enjoy. That is something I want to work towards. And if it's not there in 2021, all right, I'll take a step back and I'll move forward. And that's, again, when I was going back to Joe's question about, you know, what's my life going to look like in 2021? Yeah. What are my goals? I don't, I don't know. It's continuously know, reevaluating. Yeah, but I'm going to continue to work towards that path. This podcast is, you know, allowing me to still broadcast in some way, shape, or form. And I'm, I'm trusting in that and hoping that it comes through. And if not, Okay, hit it reverse, go out into the right path, and, you know, uh, I mean, maybe yeah. I'll move out to Oklahoma City or some shit. I oh, don't know. Okay. Um, I think at the same time, it's, you know, using... The Sorry. I think at the same time, it's it's using this, this period to be like, I could do things that I've never done before. Right. You know, expanding a little bit, trying, experimenting, I think, in all forms, whether it's business, personal aspects, life, this is a time to do that. This is a time to learn from some mistakes because I think... Um, the negatives are not there as much because you do have the time. You're not wasting, quote unquote, because you have more of it. Just experiment, have fun, do something new. You you say you're trying to learn from mistakes, but I mean, you're you're still doing a podcast with me. I'm still talking to you. Screw the podcast. That that I'm using your voice. I mean, do you hear it? I mean, That's... but listen to it on these microphones and this mixing board. How good does that sound? Sunday night here <laughs> on the behind the rack. It's not. It's actually Thursday. Oh, uh, okay. Um, uh, how do you feel about being in Tulsa? It's hot as hell, huh? I am drenched in sweat right yeah. now. I mean, it's, it's abysmal. I mean, I've, yeah. Can we just talk about the fact that you, you have this behind the racket line essentially for yourself at this point? Yeah. Still waiting on any behind the racket merchandise. That's fine. Um, but it's all black. What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, that was just a limited line. But yeah, I mean, just get some white. It's hot in the summer, man. Australia, all black. It's a New Yorker right there. Get tougher. I, I, I'm just saying it's stupid. You're also weak. I'm fat, no too. Correlation. Okay? No I'm, correlation. I'm just saying, if you want to play tennis at a high level, you should not be wearing all black in all the middle black. of the summer. All the time. You're no matter idiot. the temperature. You're an idiot. No correlation. Again, I know. I'm an idiot. No correlation. 
Um, you gonna come back here, Tulsa? Uh, if you're not here, yes. Okay. Uh, you want me to stop because you've got to go somewhere, huh? I mean, sure. I'm gonna go to the pool. Okay. You want to come? No. I uh, hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, we'll probably take next weekend off because Noah needs to get back home and, uh, I don't know, adjust to life or something. Um, but we will talk to you in one week. And, and um, thank you for all the questions. We really do appreciate it. Uh, a special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash behind the racket pod. We really do appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get some tennis coming up uh, that we can actually, you know, do something with. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.